Okay. Before we get started on this week's message, Kevin, would you come up here for a minute? So how many of y'all have ever met Kevin? So I've, always, I've often uh, talked about how Megan was like my number one draft pick when we started Grace Life. Kevin ended up being number two draft pick. Kevin has been with us since our practice runs, uh, our launch. He's missed in four and a half years, two weeks. And he gave us a month notice on both. Um, Kevin was there when COVID hit and we had to totally change. You know, for years, I was against doing a live stream because I wanted people to be here for worship. I thought that was important, so we would put the video on later. But when we found out we couldn't meet anymore for a few months, I said, Kevin, I need you to scramble and get it done. And within seven days, he had us live. We've been live ever since. He's helped us with so many things. He's become a dear, precious friend to me. Um, We send each other inappropriate memes all the time on Facebook Messenger. (laughs) Not that bad. I'm just kidding. Well, a little bit. (laughs) But um, Kevin is leaving. This is his last Sunday with us. He's been training Emery for about two months. Emery's in the back doing a great job. Um, We appreciate everything Emery's doing. Kevin has trained him for several months. Uh, Emery's actually been doing it by himself the last couple weeks. Um, Kevin can still remote in if we need help, but... He's moving to New Mexico. You're going to be thirsty, dude, New Mexico. But I want you to know, um, we've given you a gift, a going away gift. Um, You're not going to open it here. You'll open it later. But we love you. I love you. I'm going to miss you. I'm so thankful that God has brought you into our life. You've been an amazing resource for us, and I love you very much. I appreciate it. I love you. You know, everyone, every once in a while, somebody comes in your life, you didn't expect to be blessed as much as you are. And Kevin has been such a huge blessing to us and me personally. Um, I've learned a lot from him. And uh, we're going to miss him a lot. I was joking around. I said, Kevin, can I pray that everything in New Mexico falls apart so you have to come back and serve us? I said, would that be selfish? And he said, yes, it would be. So I guess I have something to confess. Um, ironically, that's what our sermon is on. Real confession. Have you ever confessed something without really meaning it? A confession, but there wasn't any real remorse or repentance. Like, for example, for me. Yeah, I flipped the guy off at the red light, and I'm glad I did. He deserved it. (laughs) Confession without repentance or remorse. That's an example. How about a confession that was like a humble brag? Yeah, listen, I'm sorry I cussed you out. I just have a tendency to tell it like it is. (laughs) How about a confession of false self-deprecation? Yeah, best watch out. I have a little bit of an anger problem, LOL. (laughs) Have you ever used a confession to drum up pity or compassion? Have you ever used a confession to manipulate people into feeling sorry for you? I've made some bad choices and now I'm suffering these consequences or this hardship. Please feel bad for me. What about a confession combined with promises you don't really ever intend to keep? I'm sorry, give give me one more chance, I'll never do it again. 
Sometimes these confessions can seem passionate and genuine, but really they're nothing more than fertile grounds for self-deception and false spirituality. We've all offered confessions without really meaning them. Confessions lacking repentance and brokenness. These false confessions are particularly self-destructive and they indicate a much deeper spiritual problem. But what about moments of real confession? Have you ever been in a moment where you were actually repentant, teachable, humble, broken, but at the same time not a prisoner to shame? Have you ever experienced that cathartic healing power of real confession? Can you even remember the last time that happened to you? Frankly, how can we tell a difference between those two types of confessions? How can we make sure our confession isn't self-deception? Well, I believe we can learn a lot this week from Jonah. Let's look at the passage. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Keep in mind the timeline. He's still in the fish. Saying, I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, or the grave, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple, The waters closed in on me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. And when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So what we just read, in my opinion, is Jonah's absolute best moment. Starts, if you'll allow me, with a big splash. So, imagine what Jonah's thinking as the sailors throw him overboard, as he splashes into the billowing waves. Suddenly, the reality of all the circumstances of his sin, refusing to go to Nineveh, his racism, his bigotry, his selfishness, all those consequences are right before him. His choice to go the opposite direction of Nineveh, to Tarshish, all of that, his choice of telling the the assailers to throw him overboard instead of turning the boat around. And now this racist, selfish, arrogant, self-loathing, rebellious prophet is about to drown in a foreign sea. He'll never be heard from again. People back home maybe even will say, maybe even King Jeroboam back home will say, has anyone seen Jonah? It's like he disappeared. 
Imagine the sheer terror as he struggles for breath. Realizing all this kvetching, you like how I put that Jewish word in there? All this kvetching about Nineveh was foolish. And then suddenly, with perfect timing, a God-appointed whale swallows Jonah. An organic life raft, if you will, for three days. (laughs) These three days in the whale's belly are a place Jonah can no longer run from God. God has grabbed Jonah's undivided attention. This isn't the love boat, folks. It's a fish. It's dark. It smells. It's clammy. The pressure changes as the whale goes up and down. It's got to be sheer terror. I would imagine this is probably about as close to hell on earth as one could get. Even if Jonah wanted to end it all, how? It's been a full-on pity party to this point. But here, in the worst moments of his life, something changes. We get an understanding of just how much God is willing to tolerate to bring Jonah to a place of real confession. And Jonah doesn't pray this confession right when he's swallowed. It takes a while. Takes about three days. But after three days, Jonah's finally teachable. I wonder what the thoughts in his heart and mind were like, how it progressed spiritually to this point. But then his prayer, it's pretty amazing. It's if you take the time to read it on your own, you'll see it's a confession that is rich. It is deep. It's meaningful. It's got everything you could want in a confession. He recognizes his sin. He confesses it, takes responsibility. He speaks about a desire to be restored to God. He talks about serving God again, about returning to the temple. In other words, returning to his presence. Get this. Even in the belly of the whale... Jonah expresses gratitude for God rescuing him from the sea. He prays this while still in the whale, experiencing these severe consequences. He sees the whale not as the grave. He sees the whale as salvation. That's the history of our passage. Spiritual, what about God? What is he doing? Why and how is he to do it? I want to talk about Jonah's second confession. You know, this wasn't Jonah's first confession in the book of Jonah, right? Do you remember chapter 1, verse 12, he said this. He said to the sailors, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. There's a confession. Looks good, right? I spent the whole week in my study comparing these two confessions by Jonah. I am struck by how different they are from each other. Last week, remember, if you even remember if you were here or watched on the stream, I taught how this confession wasn't sincere. First of all, it was directed to the wrong audience. And it had the wrong motives. This was a confession 
Jonah offered to be heard by men alone. He wasn't confessing to God. It was a confession with no desire to repent, which would have been what? I'll go to Nineveh. There's no humility. All Jonah wanted from the sailors was sympathy. And guess what? It worked. Jonah's confession manipulated the sailors to the point they're willing to put their own lives at risk. And Jonah knows this. They're trying to steer back to the shore. All Jonah had to say was, look, just turn around, take me back so I can go to Nineveh, the storm will stop. No, he let them continue to fight the storm. If Jonah really cared about them, he would have jumped overboard himself. Why are you waiting for them to throw you over? If it's you, Jonah, jump over. How sick is that? Woe is me. It's my fault. I'm just going to sit here in steerage. If you throw me over, pick me up. <laughs> throw me over. It's my fault. You know, we do that all the time, don't we? Manipulate people into false choices that we should be willing to make ourselves. <clears throat> all Jonah cared about was getting his way and getting people to feel pity for his condition. Jonah doesn't believe he deserves these circumstances. He's not interested in repentance. He's consumed with self-pity. He doesn't really acknowledge his failure. What he's really doing is saying this, God is singling me out unfairly. Woe is me. Why do I got to go through all these hard times? That was his confession to men. We do that all the time, don't we? But then we have a confession to God. Jonah's second confession is so different. After three days in the belly of this whale, something's changed. This confession isn't for men's ears. It's for God's ears alone. Maybe the whale can hear it. I don't know. There is an audience of one. God has brought Jonah to this point. Circumstances have forced Jonah to rely upon God. There's nobody for Jonah to manipulate. Nowhere to hide. <clears throat> Jonah acknowledges the overwhelming circumstances are of his own making. He knows the Ninevites aren't the problem he is. And after Jonah acknowledges responsibility, he expresses a desire to be restored to serving God. It's no longer a death wish. Jonah's second confession, see if you can get this, don't, don't miss this. God has orchestrated a second confession that has a past, I have sinned, a present, I want to be restored, and future component, I want to serve. He desires repentance and restoration. His second confession is the work of God. Not Jonah's heart. Jonah's heart had a shot, didn't it? Didn't work, even after three days in the belly of the whale. But God has created Jonah's ability to have a confession meant for God's ears only. And there's amazing results of this confession. I'm going to put up a verse for you from Lamentations. And by the way, next week, I have a special guest speaking next week, Margie Kruger, the, the missionary that came before. She's going to be speaking from Lamentations. It's perfect tie into today. Lamentations 3, verse 31 and 32. 
for the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. This verse in Lamentations, I love it. This is how God always works in the hearts and lives of those he loves. God makes full use of circumstances that are Jonah's own making. He creates a miraculous heavenly moment. Finally, after three days, this heavenly confession moves God to action and the whale spits Jonah out. As a result of this heavenly confession, Jonah is given opportunity to fulfill his promised repentance and go preach the gospel to the Ninevites. Okay, this is another hard personal application this week. I called it heavenly confession. This was the sermon preview that we do on Twitter and Facebook. The human heart is wholly incapable of genuine confession until our heavenly dad intervenes. There are a lot of theological opinions that don't appreciate or even like that statement. But it's 100% true. Your heart on its own is not capable of the second type of confession that Jonah offered. You're only capable of the first type. Watch this verse in 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, verse 10, Paul captures it beautifully. Look at this. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See how he outlines two types of confession? Within this verse, we clearly see there are two types, heavenly and earthly. Are you tracking? Question for you, can confession be sinful? You ever thought about that? Can a confession be actually more sin? Can a confession be an expression of selfishness? Can a confession be an indulgence in self-pity? Can a confession be manipulative? Even arrogant? How often have you fallen into this trap of a confession with sinful, selfish motives driven by your self-pity? Can confession be an attempt to serve your own self-interests instead of a way to get right with God? See, Earthly confession, like the one Jonah had, like the one we often have, is an expression of having more concern for ourself than those impacted by our sin. Do you hear me? I'm going to say that again. Earthly confession is an expression of having more concern for yourself than those impacted by our sin. Earthly confession can be a passive-aggressive tool to manipulate others for sympathy or to make them sacrifice for your benefit. 
Earthly confession can be a humble brag. I'm just so competitive on the basketball court, I hate losing. That's why I punched you in the face. I'm sorry. I have never made that confession. How about this one? Pray for me. I'm really struggling with materialism with all this money I'm making. Don't laugh. I've heard it. I've heard that confession from people. Pastor, pray for me. I'm making too much money now. I'm struggling. You know what else earthly confession does? It will skillfully, carefully leave out the worst details of your sin. Why? So you can hide your shame and then avoid taking full responsibility. Could you imagine if people knew all the reasons and all the thoughts and all the motives behind your sinfulness? Earthly confession tries to ease our guilt and shame so we can sleep better at night, skipping that that pesky step of repentance. Earthly confession will always have a desire to minimize consequences, right? I'm sorry, please, just give me one more chance. Help me out of this jam, and I promise I'll never do it again. You know, I've had a lot of people say, pray for me, pastor. I'm going before a judge today. I hope to get off light. I understand it. I'm not judging you for it. But you can see how we can use confession that way. We're begging for mercy we don't deserve. I mean, now look, I don't mean mercy to forgiveness. We want that. We should ask for that. I mean mercy unto consequences. God, please get me out of this one. Those types of confessions don't sound very good, do they? Are you feeling like a little bit, wow, I fall into this earthly confession trap a lot. Well, now let's talk about heavenly confession. Let me tell you something. When you experience a moment of heavenly confession, you will immediately know the difference. Heavenly confession is inspired by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives It contains none of those toxic qualities of earthly confession. After studying Jonah's heavenly confession, you know, it reminded me of another famous heavenly confession in the Bible. And so I begin to compare Jonah's confession, his second one, with David's confession of murder and adultery in Psalm 51. The comparisons were stunning and they inspired me. Studying both of these confessions this week gave me a list of things to give to you to look for to know when our confession is born of heaven and earth. So I made a list. You know, I could have gone through verse by verse and broken it down for you, but that'd be kind of long and boring. So just trust me on this. Are you ready? Here's your list. 
Heavenly confession requires heavenly intervention. It's not something you're going to be able to generate on your own. Heavenly confession can't be managed or manipulated or constructed by human effort or intelligence or spirituality. Heavenly confession is often off schedule, if you'll know what I mean. It's not part of your initial sin plan. Well, I'm going to go here, I'm going to steal this, or say this, or do that, and in three days I plan on having an earth or heavenly confession. It's not usually how we'd work it out in our mind. <laughs> you know what else? Heavenly confession is the inevitable answer. Our heavenly confession is our answer to God's spirit calling his children to mercy and repentance. Heavenly confession is the result of God taking over our wandering heart, restoring it to his sovereign plan. Heavenly confession starts with understanding the filth of our sinfulness and makes us plead for mercy to forgiveness. Heavenly confession is born out of brokenness and humility. Heavenly confession doesn't care about consequences. Consequences are your last concern. Heavenly confession has one main concern, restoration. Heavenly confession teaches us to embrace the consequences that have brought us to that point. Just like David said in Psalm 51, verse 8. It's not clicking forward. If you can click that forward for me. Here's what David said. He said, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. You know what those bones were? Bones represented spiritual pride and arrogance that helped him stay afloat. He says, make me joyful that you have broken those bones of pride. See, heavenly confession is able to see consequences as grace, not judgment. That's how Jonah saw the whale. And the lessons, when we're involved in heavenly confession, the lessons we learn from those consequences become some of the most precious spiritual moments in our life. And we'll never forget them. Have you ever had moments where God used circumstances to restore you to what he had called you to be? You know what else? Heavenly confession compels you to run to the comfort of the cross instead of the comfort offered by the world. Here's something else that happens, and this one cannot be denied. It's important. You want to know if you have heavenly confession? This is important. Heavenly confession creates a bond with others who have experienced this same type of miraculous intervention. Don't be fooled. Listen to me, church. Both here and listening at home. Persistent isolation from God's people is a strong indicator heavenly confession is absent. Because you're isolating. 
See, a supernatural connection through the shared experiences of God's intervention in our hearts is part of heavenly confession. Heavenly confession gives you a craving to walk that same path together. Sinners celebrating mercy and restoration through the work of Christ. Creating that restoration and celebrating that restoration through corporate worship, corporate service, and get this, even corporate repentance. Heavenly confession isn't just remembering shame of past failures. Heavenly confession will always birth hope and future restoration. There's no hope. It's not a heavenly confession. Psalm 51, verse 12 and 13. Look at this verse. David wrote this, the very end of his confession. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. That word return, the actual Hebrew word can be translated, sinners will be converted to you. You ever wonder why you don't have much to tell others about your Jesus? It's because real confession has been missing. Heavenly confession restores the joy of that first day we embrace the gospel. And it inspires us to teach others. That's what happened with the murderer, adulterer, David. It's also what happened with the racist, rebellious Jonah when he went to Nineveh and preached. And it will absolutely happen with you. Heavenly confession is this surreal moment. Only a redeemed heart can experience and understand. Heavenly confession is a cherished preview of the day we will no longer struggle with sin and be perfect in our fellowship with Jesus. Heavenly confession is a moment which transforms a place like the disgusting, smelly belly of a whale into the sweetest place on earth. Perhaps you're in a whale's belly of your own making today. Suffering consequences of running from God, consequences of sinfulness that has gone unconfessed. Here's the good news for you if that's your case. <clears throat> if you are a child of God, lamentations is true. And God is going to call you. If you're a child of God and today you're in the belly of the whale, it could mean you're on the verge of the very best moment of your life. If you have never experienced a precious, supernatural, heavenly confession, my recommendation 
Now would be a good time to start. Jesus, we confess our sinfulness. We confess our responsibility. Our sin is ever before us. Against you and you only have we sinned and done this evil in your sight. God, you're blameless when you judge us. God, purge us so we can be clean. Wash us so we can be whiter than snow. Make us hear joy and gladness that the bones of pride you have broken can rejoice. Blot out our iniquities. Cleanse our sin. Restore the joy of our salvation. And uphold us with a generous, willing spirit. Because we desire to teach other sinners your ways. Father, sometimes we're in the belly of the whale and we don't even know why we're there. We recognize that could be a possibility. Lord, right now in our hearts, make our sin known to us. Strip away the self-deception. Take away the blindness. Take away the pride and the arrogance. Make us broken and humble so that we can experience the true joy of mercy and forgiveness and restoration so that, just like with Jonah, we can once again serve you in a way that brings a smile to your face. Lord, we confess individually and corporately that we desperately need the cross. We're tired of running. We're tired of putting our agenda before yours. And so today, for those who have ears to hear, we're listening, God. Tell us, whatever you want to do, I'll do it. I'm tired of running. Lord, I pray for any hearts that are in the belly of the whale today, circumstances and consequences of their own making. I pray that by your grace, by your mercy, by your spirit, you would give them heavenly confession that would make that belly the sweetest place on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, we love you. We're thankful for what God is doing in your heart. This week, ask God to give you the gift of heavenly confession. If you need anything, let us know. We love you. We've got your back.